Welcome to another edition of the Dementia Care Partner Talk Show. Now, here's dementia care expert Tifa Snow and your host, Greg Phelps. Thank you for joining us on our podcast and a unique topic for today. Not quite sure how a person would explain this. That's why we have the expert Tifa Snow on the line with us. Uh, It's called Time to Make the Invisible Visible, the Ignored Addressed, Reconnecting with Those with the Ability to More Safely Care and Reduce the Risk and All. You've given that a real big title. Can you simplify this for me? Yeah. So uh, I'll, I'll do it by asking a question. I'll ask it to both you, Greg and Joanne. Um, how many names of people who have been living in nursing homes who have died, which are approximately 40 to 50% of everybody who's died, just so we're clear, how many of those names have been read out uh, on the news and, and been presented on TV or radio or elsewhere as somebody to be admired and told their story told? Probably, from my experience, probably about Point three percent, Joanne. You uh, really probably smaller than that, actually, given the number of people that have died. In the yeah, if you home. keep in mind, forty percent of everybody who's died is probably in those populations. So here's my challenge: is those are people as well, and they've lived richful lives, many times over eighty years, and they've been relegated to nothing but a number from the nursing home. And everybody's jammed into a nursing home, whether it was independent living, assisted living, uh, a group home, a rest home, uh, or indeed a rehab center or a nursing home. And how many how many names of the care staff who go in day after day, or the, the food mm-hmm. service staff, or the laundry, or the housekeepers, or the or the maintenance folks, how many, how many of those have been named on anything? You heard their names? No. Nope. Uh, no. One bus driver in Vancouver was mentioned. A, but a bus driver, but that's not in the nursing home. No. So. Hmm. Yeah. So what's interesting is how that group, whether it's the residents, the people who are providing support and care, or the families who are not allowed in, or the volunteers who've been refused, any of those folks are not being identified as part of the solution to the problem, but also highly vulnerable. And what I see now that's incredibly frightening is how easy it is for people to demonize the humans. And it's a death pit. Uh, My mother, I never got to talk to her. And see the people who are maybe trying their best to do what is impossible in inadequate situations, being held up as bad people, uh, when in fact, they're doing the best they can with what people have told them they have to do, which is no visitors, no people coming out of their rooms, no people engaging, no help from volunteers, and use this equipment that we haven't given you. So I think it's time to make that invisible, visible, because it's not out there. People think, I mean, way too often, and news reporters support that people are making bad choices when I would say they're doing the best with what they know how to do and what they're supported to do. We hear constantly that uh, resources have been so limited. So as we know, uh, also training in a lot of cases has also been limited in previous years. So you have sort of a perfect storm all coming together. numbers, numbers, Numbers of carers. Joanne, what do you know about numbers of carers down in the Florida area? 
Oh my gosh. Um, empty, well, we're, empty lots, empty shifts, you know, double shifts trying to oh do yeah, definitely overworked, overtired, uh, a lot of them sick and calling off. And so it puts the pressure on the ones that are, are able to get there. So it's, it's pretty bad in Florida. Yeah. And then you have 14 days where you can't come back after you've That's been right. sick. Yeah. So, ooh. so who do you think's coming in and filling those slots? Oh, they're picking certain people that they should not be picking from what I understand. Whoever's available is what I heard. Or... Who knows? I mean, we may be bringing people on, Greg. Training was really minimal before. Right. Actually, demonstration of skill after an initial demonstration when you first got your credentials, whatever those might be, is not actually required that often, frankly, unless you get caught. Right. So my goal with what I said was making the invisible visible is people living with dementia have been made invisible. It's though as though they're okay without care. They will be able to behave themselves and stay in their rooms and, and tolerate someone coming in just for a little bit and they'll follow the rules. And it's like, well, that didn't work before. Why would you think it would work now? And to make the devalued valued is the workers and those who are placed in a position of trying to support families are devalued. Volunteers are devalued because what I see is a lack of awareness that this isn't working and it hasn't been working for a long time. Now it's really not working. We're killing people and we are killing people both because of COVID, but we're killing people because people aren't going into rooms. People aren't available to offer assistance. Families were a key part sometimes in care plans, and so we're volunteers, and people are doing without, not for a few days, but for weeks. So we all have unfortunately heard horror stories of Mm -hmm. of different uh, problems in, in select care facilities. Let's put on our sort of binoculars and and look ahead and say to ourselves, what can we do better as as we come out of this, as we start to come out of this? What should we have been doing all along? What can we do better? So what do you think? What do you think about families and volunteers and staff having very quick little public service trainings and then have each other to help hold one another accountable for this thing that we've talked about, which is the very basics of PPE, you know, personal protective equipment, mm-hmm. of washing hands, of of turning your head, of coughing into an elbow, of changing your outfit if you've gotten something on it before you go somewhere else and do something else. So we may need to provide some of the supplies as well as some of the training, um, or we'll go right back into an incredibly, it's already high risk, it will become astronomical as we go back. While this um, pandemic is much more deadly than things that we've dealt with in the past, we have seen flus sweep through uh, care facilities and, and unfortunately take out a fair amount of vulnerable seniors. So this this should have sort of been ingrained, but it doesn't seem to have been. I think it goes back to we as people do the impossible with the inadequate and we don't make sure they are doing it, knowing what to do and how to do it. We say wash your hands, but we don't actually build it into a care routine. We, we say we do, but we don't. Um, and we don't make sure everybody involved is aware at the same level that the environment 
is part of the care routine. And if I'm going to wait for housekeeping to clean, well, if housekeepers aren't available, guess what? It's just going to not be cleaned. So this idea of not, I'm not advocating for universal workers for everybody. I do think, though, universal knowledge and university awareness and universal responsibility, we've got to somehow move from where we are to a different way of looking at this. Or I'm very fearful that whether it's neurovirus that, that takes someone's life or whether it's COVID or whether it's being alone in a room uh, and falling and having someone not available to come in right then because they're in two rooms down trying to help someone else. I'm, I'm not a fan of regulation, but sometimes things have to be put down in re- the black and whites telling people that you have to do these things. And, and sadly, maybe we have to do that for, for senior care. I think, you know, first we have to, yes, I, I do think it's a have to, but if you don't know why you're doing it, then you never really incorporate it into your habit structure. So I think what's happened before with all regulations is when regulations without reason are in place, then you don't see the reason for the regulation. And if no one's looking, you don't follow a regulation. You only follow a regulation when someone who sort of is in charge of the regulation is present. I think if we really want people to change how they do what they do, it has to make sense to that human being and they have to practice it enough that their primitive brain and their procedural brain has a procedure. And that procedure is the procedure you follow. So if we're going to regulate something, perhaps we should regulate how training is taken up and used rather than exactly what we're training. Because if we'd learn how to help people learn, and how to do what they learn, that to me would be a lot more valuable than trying to get them to do something specific without reason. The pandemic should be a pretty good reminder for all of us for years to come. Uh, Tipa, if people want more information on some of the programs that you've Mm -hmm. offered in the past and have now switched to those online and the new programs that you're developing going forward, including support, um, how can they track you down or track down Positive Approach? Yeah, we have a couple of, uh, we have some webinars that are designed specifically for COVID, but we also have a lot of resources on our homepage. And we've done some changing on the homepage to make it more accessible and easy to find things, we hope. So when you go to www.tipasnow.com and you look right there, um, near the very top of the page, it will give you some options. And if you're not sure what to do, try chat or info at tipasnow.com and Someone from our group will get back to you for sure. Joanne Westbrook, Tipa Snow, thank you very much. That finishes our podcast for today. Thank you, Greg. Thanks, everybody.